So this morning, I, these are like reflections. Uh, it's almost like a, a guided meditation. So the important thing is for you to to look at to be you know, look at yourself. So the the reflections are more or less pointing. Uh, they're meant to point at the way things are rather than to tell you how you should be or how things should be or shouldn't be. The word meditation, of course, is a kind of generic term for anything we mental and the different uh, attitudes, different techniques, uh, different styles uh, that can be labeled meditation. But when I refer, when I use the word, I'm referring to the practice of mindfulness. Uh, developing awareness rather than any specific technique uh, or style of meditation. And so when I use the word meditation, it doesn't mean necessarily sitting in a temple uh, concentrating your mind but uh, it also means mindfulness in daily life so we in the Buddhist world we usually um, divide everything up into meditation is sitting uh, doing some kind of deliberate intentional technique and the rest of our life uh, isn't meditative so you can have you're working in the kitchen or in the garden or something, you can't meditate because you can only do that when you're sitting in the temple. And that's the kind of logic that results from from uh, confining meditation to just a, a formalized practice. When people ask me how many hours I meditate a day, uh, it's kind of a question I can't really find has any uh, meaning to me because uh, my life is a meditation. So it's not, not confined to particular times and places. Because mindfulness is uh, our ability to be present wherever we are, whatever is happening. It's not, it isn't a dependent state that we create by controlling the situation. It's, mindfulness can be, is something we can depend on whatever, in whatever situation we happen to be in. And so the, the uh, formal techniques, or when we start practicing, quote, meditation, unquote, is usually uh, 
developing awareness around the things that are happening right now that which is the way it is right now such as the breathing say the anapanasati one's breathing whether one's in the meditation hall or working in the kitchen the breathing is still operating so that and that's happening now the posture of the body and whatever we're doing you know whatever sitting in the temple or working in the kitchen uh, we're standing we're walking seated or we're lying down for postures so the body is always present for us in this incarnation as a human being where we are stuck with a human body for a lifetime so wherever we are, whatever is happening, we're, we have a body, we have breath, we have consciousness. This is uh, pointing to the obvious fact that uh, we, um, you know, we think we know, but we uh, don't really appreciate. Then, of course, the personality is something we create onto that. So a sense of ourself as a person our emotional world our views, opinions thoughts, dreams uh, well this, this, this mental activity is um, imposed onto, onto these conditions so we create that in the present and we identify with it so, I mean, the people don't usually, their egos aren't built around their breathing or their, the posture of their body or uh, being a conscious, a recognizing consciousness, but in, in uh, the sense of self-worth, of views about things, ideals, fears, desires. So, we're constantly becoming, creating ourselves into something or other in the present which is usually based on memory from the past conditioning identification with habits uh, views that we hold to or assumptions we make in the present but it's always important to keep reminding yourself that meditation or the mindfulness is now Liberation is now. Nibbana is now. Enlightenment is now. And these kind of high-powered words, enlightenment, Nibbana, liberation. Uh, on a personal level, what happens when I speak like this? You know, what happens? What, you, what is your reaction? Because personally, we we uh, we see ourselves in a certain way as being unenlightened, far from nibbana. Uh, we we hold ourselves to be a, a, like a, I'm these kind of problems. I have I'm this kind of a person. So the self view 
and in the Pali, Sakya Ditti, personality view, is uh, tends to dominate our conscious experience. So, of course, we we see ourselves in in these very limited terms all the time. You, know, you create yourself as a person. You're limiting yourself. And uh, when you when you make assumptions and and uh, operate from that position, from a personality, then the result is always uh, unsatisfying. I don't know any kind of satisfaction from being a person, being my personality. Because, uh, say, my personality is built on, on a very competitive uh, plan, uh, assumptions of trying to, I've got to, I'm not good enough the way I am. I have to do something in order to become a better person or become an enlightened being or whatever. So the, the sense of, of trying to perfect your personality into an enlightened personality is, uh, is an impossibility. It may be an ideal that you have, but you'll never succeed at it. <coughs> like uh, the story I liked about the Zen master uh, watching his disciple meditating and sitting uh, many hours desperately trying to get enlightened and the master sits down by the, the disciple picks up a brick and starts polishing it rubbing it and the disciple says what are you doing? he says well, I'm trying to uh, polish this brick so it will become a mirror. Of course, we, we recognize the impossibility of a brick ever being a mirror. It can't reflect, has no reflective capacity. <clears throat> Where in uh, consciousness, as we, in the here and now, when we stop trying to uh, just do an impossible task, it may have good intentions to it. There's hard work, patience, determination, all kinds of, of uh, excellent qualities we develop. <clears throat> but at the end of the day, we'll fail and we'll feel despair and increase a sense of our own inability. And in that if we're doing something, no matter how good our intention might be, but we're, we're actually... Uh, Aren't it? The, we don't see the root of the problem. We we don't get to the root of it. Then, of course, we end up feeling meditation doesn't work. I'm not good enough. I'm not ready. I can't do it. And it just increases the the personality view. So, in trying to when you operate from the personality as your modus operandi. I am this person and I need to practice hard in order to become enlightened. Uh, if that is never questioned, never seen through, then of course we uh, can spend years uh, trying and uh, never quite feeling we, we can ever succeed at it. 
But take the opposite view. I'm an enlightened being already. I am perfect the way I am. I don't need to do anything. Is is still uh, still sakyaditi. That's still personality view. So obviously, it's not not a viewpoint where we're pointing to such, such as some uh, thought process. I am uh, a hopeless case. I am, need to practice um, in order to become better or I'm perfect the way I am, I don't need to do anything. These are creations of the mind in the present. There are assumptions we make. A lot of our, how we live this life is assuming, making assumptions, never quite conscious, never quite fully aware, but, but operating from uh, that kind of momentum, from ignorance, from assuming... Uh, things that that aren't true, but believing that this is being honest and straight about itself. So at this moment now, and in the, this present moment, we're sitting here in this, and everybody's sitting, breathing. These are, we can all relate to this. Then, how we, what's going on in the mind, it would vary from one person to the other. How, how are you feeling? You know, feeling awake or dull? Uh, you feel good or bad? joyful or sad uh, or don't know how you feel. So in in the Thai forest tradition they they use this this mantra puto as their kind of basis. The mantra has a uh, is a kind of meditation practice which we can use to, if we're going to think, we're only going to think this one word. Because thinking, if we, if we don't, uh, you know, if we're just caught in the thinking process, it just uh, goes on and on. It proliferates and wanders, wandering mind, as you no doubt are very well aware of. It's just so easy to to start thinking and then the mind, one word connects to the next and you're wandering all over the place. Something will, uh, some memory will come up or some emotion, some feeling and, and thought process starts moving and one gets carried away into thinking and the thinking process is conditioned It's something that we, it, it becomes a, a habit. We develop thinking habits. So we, we tend to repeat our thoughts. Get caught in, in kind of obsessive thought patterns. So like the, the mantra puto, it's the 
the uh, actual name of the Buddha, a mantric form, meaning the one who knows. Because consciousness at this moment, and that we're conscious beings, is ability to know. And that as, a, as a conscious entity, there's this, uh, this, uh, a form, physical form, the human body, and then the consciousness, we, we know what's, what's going on. We know when there's, there's a, when there, when we feel hungry or sleepy or sad or happy or angry or greedy. We can know things as we you know the, we we tend to think we know because the the world around us because we, we'd like to name it. We, we project sounds onto objects. They say this is a clock, this is a microphone, this is a monk, this is a nun. These are, uh, and then we think we know what we're talking about. We think we really know because we, we have names that we give to objects in consciousness. So we can live in a completely abstract world much of our life, you know. Sometimes certain situations force us to really be fully present, such as when your life is in danger or some, something demands complete presence. But much of our life it can be spent in a, in a dream world of assumptions and prejudices and habit patterns that we we just are bound into? How do we get out of it? How do we liberate ourselves from, from the force of habit? And of course we can see that the society, modern society, is, suffers a lot. Affluent countries, uh, with all their efforts to make life uh, pleasant and efficient and good for us, we, uh, we still suffer enormously, even when everything is going well, because we're operating from ignorance, from avicca, the Pali word avicca is not knowing things as they really are, not knowing the truth of the way it is, not knowing the Dhamma. So in knowing, uh, it's uh, this sense of knowing Consciousness aligned with wisdom is knowing the way things are. Consciousness can be also influenced by avicca, not knowing how things are, so we just operate from the way we think they are, from the habits, the emotional habits we have, the views and opinions that we hold to. So conscious beings, uh, you know, we, we have this gift of consciousness. But then we, we impose uh, views into it. So it, it, we project, we think we know things because we, we project uh, uh, names onto objects. 
unto ideas. So in meditation, we're, we're getting down to the root. They have a Pollywood uh, Yoni Somanasikara, getting this an ability that we have to get to the root of the problem. This, this, the, where ignorance arises. And that's always in the here and now. It's not a theory, not, it isn't theoretical or abstract. It's immediate. And it's practical. So with mindfulness, this word sati, sampachanya, satipanya, these are very significant words, as you hear me repeating them over and over again. Uh, now when I, when I use the word mindfulness or sati, this, this is the ability we have, like right now, to be present. Sati uh, is an inclusive ability. It isn't, a, it isn't discriminatory. It's not uh, choosing something and, and uh, by excluding everything else. So it's, it's like a, an awakened ability to awake in a wide spectrum, as I say, the point that includes everything. But right now, they if you, if, if there's awareness, there's mindfulness, then it includes everything that you're, that's happening to you at this time, both physically, emotionally, mentally, externally, internally. So sati is uh, the, the, what they call the gate to the deathless. It's the, it's the Buddha pointed, you know, emphasized this word because that's the only possible portal that we have to escape the, the habit patterns, the, the power of our habits, power of ignorance. So even if we're meditating in order to become something in the future, you know, this is in order to become enlightened in the future. Uh, it's like operating from this position, and never questioning it, getting, never seeing through that basic assumption, I am this person who needs to do something in order to become something else. Then, of course, it's like trying to polish the brick, making a mirror, trying to make it smooth and shiny and reflective. So if we operate from that, you know, that's our, that's our beginning point. Uh, I've got to meditate in order to get rid of my defilements and become uh, an enlightened being. Then that is, uh, you know, that, that will, that basic assumption 
if that's where you're operating from an assumption that's base, that comes from ignorance, then of course it's like trying to polish a brick. So in uh, Buddhist, Buddhism, Theravada Buddhism, there's the, the teachings, the tradition, all these that we use here are are not meant to be positions that we grasp or or just grasping the, the words themselves and uh, becoming a Theravadan Buddhist but it's they're actually uh, to be used with awareness they're, ta- they're attempts it's a psychological language the Buddha used to to awaken us So in Buddha, the word Buddha itself is uh, awakenness. So when we chant Bhutang Sarnangachami, the, the reality of that, it's not, it's not just some kind of Buddhist uh, ceremony that we're using because we, we call ourselves Theravadan Buddhists. <coughs> But it's a reality. It's the, it's, it's, it is word. It's just words, admittedly. But what is it pointing at? What are those words pointing to? What do they really mean in regards to this present moment? And so the 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 thinking mind think, well, Buddha was uh, there's only one Buddha and uh, he lived in India 2,500. We go on into into thinking about Buddha as some remote uh, historical sage. And that's all right too. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But but that that is not going to be liberating for us. It might inspire us at best. We we get inspired by that. <clears throat> Or Dhamma or Sangha, these three refuges. What do they mean? What is the reality of Buddha Dhamma Sangha right now in terms of experience now? So this is like inquiring into, are we just repeating these words perfunctorily just because that's what you're supposed to do here? We can do that. That's all right. <laughs> but the but the the recommendation, the encouragement, is to you know not to grasp the words or or uh, just think about it or try to define it, but to recognize or realize the, that reality. When we say Bhutang Sarangachami. So when I reflect in this way, the only thing that I can possibly recognize as Buddha at this moment is awareness. 
which is isn't an object. I'm not a kind of aware of a Buddha quality in myself or a Buddha kind of inner Buddha or something I can can find as an object that I or imagine that I have. But it's the imminent, immediate act of awakening. So but to me, the Bhutto of Bhutang Sanangachami has a very practical effect. It's easy to fall back into becoming, into being a person again, into seeing myself through the habit patterns I have and the memories I have and so forth, and so that this is, is a, this, this Bhutto, this, this one word, you know, if developed, helps to remind you of awareness, wake up, be here and now, be fully present to this moment as it is, whatever way you're experiencing it. So you can see that, that when I, as I said before, meditation isn't just re- confined to the temple and formal retreat practices. It's, this is, this is uh, something one can integrate into the movement and flow of, of life as we're living it. So recognize that this, the thing with formal meditation, they have in monasteries like this, and this is part of a a lifestyle, isn't it? Having morning pujas, evening pujas, meditations, retreats, and so forth is part of our lifestyle, you might say. It's the duties of a monk or a nun. So, in, uh, and then we can confine meditation to just the fact that winter retreat we meditate, rest of the year we don't. Uh, you know, because that is, uh, um, or we only we have to go somewhere, some idyllic place, in order to practice. Because we haven't really understood the power of mindfulness yet. We're still, we're still conceiving ideal, uh, ideals about practice and how it should be. So I was, uh, when I started meditating as a lay person in Bangkok, at a temple there, they, they taught this Burmese practice the uh, Mahasi method and so my first when, I, when you know, even though the word mindfulness is common enough English word I never really understood what it meant you know so um, you know I didn't really you know I, I, I could define it possibly but 
but in terms of how I uh, began to define it was in uh, through attachment to the method they were using because they, they did everything in a very uh, defined way everything with slow motion you had to eat in slow motion and walk and, and you watch the rise and fall of your abdomen things like this so the technique was I I, I couldn't differentiate mindfulness and concentration, effort. It was just mindfulness practice was doing the slow, slow movement or watching the, or witnessing the rise and fall of the abdomen. Because that's how the mind works. It tends to, you know, say mindfulness practices and then we we think that the, this is this is really being mindful when we're doing everything in a in a very deliberate uh, kind of exaggerated way. Then, as I began to have more experience through through even starting with this assumption, I began to to expand and see that mindfulness isn't uh, you know isn't a matter of doing something in a deliberate way, but of being fully present. Tuning in, in other words. Tuning into the present is like this. Then in... uh, we have the Satipatthana, the four foundations of mindfulness. These are uh, ways of pointing at, just ways of reflecting upon experience here and now. Such as Gayanupasana Satipatthana, the reflection on the on the body. This body, as it as it's sitting and breathing at this moment and feeling, isn't it? The, the body is a sensitive condition. So sensitivity means uh, that range of pleasure pain. You know, and that's what being sensitive is all about, is being, uh, you know, feeling uh, pleasure pain, sukha and dukkha, happiness, suffering, so this is a realm, a sense realm. You have eyes, ears, nose, tongue, body, mind. So they, they call the ayatanas, six ayatanas, the five khandhas. These are the Pali teachings pointing at the reality of now and ways of, of noticing that are not defined and prescribed for you, but are pointed to, so you can see for yourself. So even though we have eyes and eye consciousness, we 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 can just operate, you know, just the way that we we usually do. Thinking, I'm I can see well, or I can't see well. I have to wear glasses, or that's. I like that, that's a lovely thing, but that over there I don't like. 
because the eyes are discriminatory. They see whatever passes in front of one's vision, it is the way it is, whether it's beautiful, indifferent, or ugly. It doesn't, the eyes don't choose and say, I'm only going to to see beauty. But sensitivity means that we we're in this realm where the, this range of pleasure pain from high, from heaven to hell, from the top to the bottom is, is part of our experience. And so recognize that being human, being incarnated in human form on this planet, in this realm, being conscious is like this. It's the way it is. It's not a heavenly realm that we can, we can, uh, we, we experience heavenly states, admittedly, but we can't live in heavenly states while we're in this human state because the body and its needs and the, and the, the sense realm that we live in is not, uh, is a continuously changing, moving, flux that we awaken to we can awake to it and see it for what it is rather than try to just pick and choose from what we like and if we do that if we're just trying to control everything and and uh, in, to, to only have things that please us and make us feel safe we're going to fail at that also because this realm is not like that. This realm is like this. You can only sit for so long and, and the body gets, starts feeling pain. Or the body is subject to pleasure, pleasurable feeling, uh, neutral and unpleasant. That's its nature. And the awareness then of pleasurable feeling neutral or painful is our ability to awaken to the way it is. The human body is like this. Now the, 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 the illusion around the human body is that it's me. It's mine. So, so I if, if I don't reflect and awaken to the way it is, then I'm always judging myself. Why do I have this pain? Why do I, why can't I just, why can't I have good health and vigor all the time? And, and uh, I want to just be, you know, spend my life with, with, with good energy, take vitamins and eat health foods and try to control everything so that, and do hatha yoga and do all kinds of things to make my body uh, as, as pleasant and as, as uh, vigorous, energetic as I would like it to be all the time. Or is the, the, with the sati panya or the awareness, mindfulness and wisdom, we know the body is like this. Sitting, just the, the simple act of sitting, which is so ordinary for us, 
we're not we're not trying to say how you should sit or how you should feel at this moment, but whatever way you're sitting in the chair or on the floor, whatever full lotus or half lotus or whatever city where you're sitting at this moment, it is the way it is. So this is a, a pointing in that recognize what is it like. And, and not to define it, but to, to just to, to recognize the, the, the body that's here and now. The reality of sitting. When it's sitting, it's right now it's like this. So we're, we're bringing attention to the present. We're opening to the present to the, and, and using the body as, as a focus. So at this moment, when we're we're not criticizing or judging it, we're not saying how it should or shouldn't be, but we're acknowledging the way it is. So much of the time, it's is that a neutral feeling? It isn't particularly outstanding. You sit for long enough, it starts being painful. And that when, when say before that happens, uh, you don't quite know what to do with it. With how do I, how am I supposed to see my body sitting? I'm supposed to imagine myself on the roof of the temple looking down at it, or is there some posture, you know, perfect posture, like full lotus is the ultimate, isn't it, in, in, in our terms of the best posture. Um, I should practice in order to sit in full lotus so I can have the best posture, or we can, we can think like this. Or some people are so attached to sitting uh, on the floor in half lotus or full lotus that sitting in a chair is uh, considered not as good as. That's something like you can't really, you know, they look down on chair sitting. But then this is, this is just holding a view again, isn't it, about how it should be. So the important thing is not how you're sitting, but your ability to recognize that sitting is like this. So the aim, say, in meditation is to is to awaken to the way it is. And through this awakening, say, it's through a, a relaxing in the present. If you're forcing your body, trying to make your body do something you you want it to do, and you don't know you're doing that, you know you can, uh, you know you're creating tension. You're trying to get full lotus posture and and uh, making your body sit in a way uh, that that you know that you think you regard as full lotus, thinking that this is a good thing to be doing. But in the process, you're just full of tension. So an attitude for meditation is one of 
relaxing into the present. The sense of of meditation being a relaxing experience rather than a one of just creating tensions and and trying to get some kind of result that you you remember having had before or that you imagine you would like to get in the future. Every time we sit, it's different, isn't it? You don't. The conditions change. The state of your mind, the the, the body, and that are are in this flux. So that you know, when you come in and do the formal practices here in the temple, it's not the same every time, is it? So this changingness is is. Uh, is the object that we begin to recognize, notice the, the, the anicca or the changingness of phenomena, the body or the the mood of the mind. So mindfulness then uh, implies also this of relaxing, but attention, not in attention that that. Uh, you know, like in the military, where they yell at you, attention, and you go into kind of uh, contractions and make yourself look like you're paying attention. There's not like an imperative, a command that that creates tension, but it's attention, or which is with a sense of being at ease, of relax. Awareness, openness, receptivity, being receptive to this present moment, whatever it it happens to be, whatever you're receiving, it's not discriminatory, it's not choosing, uh, picking or choosing anything, It's, it's allowing this moment to be what it is. So I encourage you to, <clears throat> you know, to to see meditation as as a, a relaxing experience. I mean, of of just feeling this, this kind of surrendering to the present, allowing this present moment as you experience it to be what it is. rather than sitting here trying to get samadhi or get rid of your defilements or do all kinds of things that that you should be doing in meditation because if we don't if we don't have this sense of, of being you know of, of relaxing uh, then we so much of our conditioning is around uh, putting forth enormous efforts to get something we don't have yet or to purify ourselves, getting rid of our defilements, get rid of our bad mood, our bad thoughts, and trying to get good thoughts, a good mood, trying to get something by getting rid of something. Now this is how we're conditioned, speaking for myself, uh, that's, that's the conditioning of my life before being a monk, the reward and punishment kind of society 
where you're rewarded for obeying and doing the right things and getting good grades in school and obeying mommy and daddy and going to church on Sunday and then you're punished for not doing well, not going to church on Sunday, not obeying your elders. And so this reward and punishment uh, tends to be the 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 thing that we create our personality with the sense of our self worth you know the kind of rewards you get for being good and obeying and and doing what you should and the kind of result for being a rebel or disobedient or not doing uh, what the status quo thinks is right. So there's, you know, if you if you're if you're good and obedient, you get rewarded by the society, and if you you're not, you get punished. So that we, you know, we feel we have to, you know, there's this sense of having to try to always be good and and obey and do everything right. Because that obviously brings forth uh, the rewards that make us feel that we're okay, we're accepted, we're we, we're not rejected by the society. But then there's also the fear, because we also have, you know, as, as we have this this uh, ability to to be good and obedient. But we also have another force in us that rebels and resists and fights against things. So the personality then uh, gets gets kind of fixed as we I think around the teenage years I remember in my own life uh, you kind of figure out how you can survive in the system how you can get by in a society that is you know that that makes endless demands and and uh, then ostracizes, rejects, and punishes if you don't go accordingly. Fortunately, in in the state, there was, you know, there's wide margins for behavior. So, being even being a rebel could be uh, acceptable in a certain group. You know, like I, I gravitated more towards the left side of the spectrum, and the, and the. More rebellious uh, side of the society, but in spite of all that, there was there was a fear, a lot of fear uh, involved of being uh, humiliated, punished, ostracized. So this is just the way the world is. The conditioned realm, the societies are the way they are, not, not as, not criticizing, but just noticing that reward and punishment uh, is is very much, uh, you know, the way societies operate. Because societies are are not enlightened groups, they're. 
they change and they flow also. But they usually, they're, you know, they're not coming from understanding the way things are. They're coming from ideals about how things should be. So in, like, a, a dictatorship is where you create a lot of fear by trying to control everything. Like one person decides that he or she is going to be the, make all the decisions for the rest of the country. And they're, they're gifted with uh, knowing what's good for you all the time and what's good for the country. So then uh, they use punishing means. If you don't agree and you don't want to go along, then you're punished. In monastic life, notice also well how this operates. This is how you know that the fear uh, that we have around keeping rules and the the tradition we're in and what is a good monk or a good nun and how we should be and uh, and the fear around that, that we can generate from from clinging to these conventions. So this attitude of surrender isn't Surrendering to anybody or anything, any, but to the present moment. So that, that means that you're actually making yourself very vulnerable, isn't it? Usually, you know, we have our ways of presenting ourselves and defending ourselves, uh, especially in a, when we're with other people in a community or with another person or in a society. So we, we have to have our, you know, our mask on, our facade, present ourselves in a certain way because it's, it's, it's a kind of protection. But in meditation now, we, we're making ourselves totally vulnerable. We're allowing, rather, we're allowing ourselves in this moment to, to, to let go of all that, to just surrender to the moment, to allow this moment to be as it is. And, and so this includes both, you know, your, your conditioning, the way you, you, you know, your, your conditioning will arise in the present because uh, very few opportunities in life allow us this freedom to be, to surrender to the moment. You know, it's not, not an ideal in the society. It sounds like nonsense that to some people surrender to the moment. What is that? What in the heck is that? What am I supposed to do with that? But the, these words, they are words and they might, you know, they might be confusing in some way. But the, what I'm pointing to is not to try to get the, the exact uh, 
definition for it, but it's an encouragement to trust yourself at this moment, to to just open to this moment as it is, physically, mentally, emotionally. And you don't have to prove anything, you don't have to become anything, you don't have to get rid of anything, it, uh, bad mood, good mood, uh, pleasure, pain, uh, liking, disliking, whatever conditions you're experiencing in this moment, not trying to change them, but to to receive them, to realize them, that that that, that condition phenomena is like this. It changes, it it can be pleasurable, it can be painful. So in meditation then it's it's allowing this freedom to be fully present, an encouragement to to receive this moment as it is. So it's not it's not a judgment, it's not a critical, you're not criticizing not trying to find something, you know, if you're in a bad mood, criticizing this yourself for having this mood. It's receiving it. A bad mood is like this. If this is what one is, what is happening right now, this receiving it doesn't mean approving. It's not. It has not. It's not in any way judging, but acknowledging its presence. It is what it is, the way it is. Lung Pao Chao once defined meditation as holiday for the heart. And I found that very strange. They call it, in Thai, call it Pak Pon Tang Jit Dai. And to me, before that, before I ever really thought of that, thought of it in those terms, I always thought meditation is hard work, you know. You know, you go on a holiday to get away from it, you know, sitting hours and doing that. You want, you go off to to some place just to to have a holiday out of monastic routine and out of the the confines of community life and formal practice. Have a holiday. And then Lung said, well, meditation is a holiday. Well, Pakpon means, it means in Thai, that means like a relaxing, resting, relaxing of the heart. So he's quite good making these kind of enigmatic statements that make you start considering, well, maybe I've got it wrong. Maybe the way I approach meditation, you know, I do tend to make hard work out of things anyway. You know, my nature, my personality is one to to want to complicate and uh, make things into causes and, and really you kind of go at it intensely. For me, to just relax into the moment, this doesn't sound like you're doing anything really significant. 
because uh, you know, really practicing hard. Now that sounds you know really good. You get praise for that. Somebody really, he's a really good meditator. He practices really hard. You know, sits for hours and really good meditator. And that one over there, not so good. Doesn't seem to do very much. Because we have these reward and punishment conditioning, you know. Hard work pays off. And uh, relaxing, taking it easy, is, is laziness. Uh, it's, uh, it's inferior, isn't it? You don't get praise for being lazy. That's a, that's a criticism. But holiday for the heart doesn't mean being lazy. It means being atten- paying attention, but not in the, not as an imperative, but as a refuge, a place you can be fully yourself in the present with the way it is. So like trying to become mindful is another uh, impossibility. Because we, we attach the idea of mindfulness and then try to become something that we imagine. And that's not it, is it? You can't become mindful. You are mindful or not. So I remember also thinking, I've got to become mindful. I've got to practice mindfulness more and more to become more and more mindful. And uh, then really, you know, doing what I thought was, you know, really working hard, practicing a lot to be mindful, trying to be more and more mindful. And the result was that Sometimes, you know, you just uh, you surprise yourself. You get so concentrated, you, you, you forget everything else. So many, many of us, when we start meditating, we, 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 we want to do a lot of concentration because that we can understand, getting the jhanas, uh, developing stages, uh, you know, working hard, putting a lot of effort, and and really, you know, that's going to pay off. Work hard, uh, it pays pays off. You get you get a good result. You get a carrot for that. So, you know, I remember really doing a lot of concentration in the beginning. Which, which I did learn from. It wasn't like a waste of time at all. But, but uh, as long as I was not really aware of what I was doing, I'd get, uh, I could get, you know, through when the conditions were right, I could get very concentrated. And that meant externally and internally, the conditions, if they were very, you know, quiet and no distraction, and uh, and I was feeling... Uh, fairly all right in myself and think the things come together I'm feeling good the conditions are quiet I can get very well I get 
easily concentrated. And then when the conditions would change, the, the conditions around weren't very good, were noisy, uh, disruptive, and I wasn't feeling very well, and, you know, I couldn't concentrate. I'd just get averse. I'd get annoyed with the, with the noise. I'd get, uh, I'd try to suppress my emotions if they were negative, trying to get rid of them, try to force them down or just get very annoyed with everybody or everything around me that was, I thought was causing disruptions to my practice. So the, uh, this was uh, because uh, to, to get, to, to develop that kind of concentration, it's very dependent on conditions supporting, uh, if you want, refined samadhi experiences, you know, you have to control the environment to a certain degree. Or to a high degree. Well, I found myself getting very selfish with these samadhi practices. You know, just like like suffering terribly over tiny little things. If somebody closed the door and made a noise too hard, somebody was breathing too hard in the meditation hall, I could feel furious with them. It's surprising, some of, the, some of the violent thoughts I've had about somebody breathing too hard. <laughs> And so then this, uh, you know, reflecting on this result, this, this is not leading toward, uh, toward liberation. I'm becoming more and more a control freak and, uh, and, and really nasty person. I could see kind of nastiness arising when you get attached to, to refinement. How, Snooty, you can become. You you really you really don't like. Uh, you, you look down on anything coarse. So you your your level your standards go up, and then your personality binds yourself to these standards, and all you can do is look down at most of life because it's not going to to be uh, experience of daily life is not necessarily the experience of refinement. So the Buddha, his attitude to was this awareness was uh, our ability to receive the moment as it is in its refinement, in its coarseness, all factors considered because it's multiple, isn't it? At this moment, many things are the way they are. The body's like this, the mood is like this, the breath is like this. The temperature is like this. The conditions around us are like this. They're the way they are. At this moment, they can only be the way they are. If we, if we lose that, and we start looking, I don't like the way it is, then 
Then we're back into this realm of trying to control things. I don't want things to be the way they are right now because I don't like this, I don't like that. Then we're, then we're back into the samsara or the, the uh, liking, disliking, preferring, looking down on, resenting, the whole spectrum of emotional reactions. So mindfulness includes, uh, it's, it, it, and it's not critical, not criticizing, it's just recognizing. Sati Sampachanya. Sampachanya, like translates clear comprehension or, you know, on this way of seeing things as they are. It's like this. So with this, with this broad spectrum of awareness, then, then we, we can focus on something if we if we so choose. Like like when I first, you know, I'm aware. Like just starting the meditation sessions, I'm aware of just body or the breath. Or if the mind is stirred up, I'm aware of that of the the way the the mood. If I'm, the mind is thinking a lot, or or there, I feel upset about something. Or there's some something like that going on, attention to it. Receiving it, rather than just reacting to it. Then I can, then from there, then the the flowing, you know, the, the breath, we can focus on the on the on the breathing or on the sensations of the body. And as you all where have I pointing to what I call sound of silence, this background vibration. Because that's the way it is too. It's the present here and now. And sometimes you may not notice it, but uh, if you but, and so when I talk about sound of silence uh, and people conceive it as a sound that they're looking for some kind of sound, so people are trying to find the sound of silence. Uh, you know, they they keep they they get frustrated because they can't find it. But it's recognized through the more this sense of relaxed, opening attention. Now if I'm looking for something, I've got, if I've got an agenda in my mind of trying to get something, then I, then I, uh, tend to, that's what I'm aiming for. That's, you know, the goal is to attain or get something. But if I, change the attitude of trying to get or get rid of anything but receive open to then I can then that that includes uh, this moment as I'm experiencing it in this form 
that includes them. The mental state I'm in, the physical state as it is, the mood that's present, the conditions around me, the, the temple itself, the temperature of the room, the, the robes I'm wearing, the space around me, the silence, the sound of silence, the stillness. It all, it all belongs in the present. So I found this, you know, really a relief. I'm not here to control things, like trying to shut out everything. For many years my practice was controlling the mind and shutting out everything. So to me, in those days, meditation was, I couldn't meditate with you. I couldn't meditate sitting here looking at you. I had to shut you out, either, either close my eyes, shut you off through not seeing, or go back to my seat over there and look at the shrine. Because, the, you know, the idea was, was, well, when I, you know, all these people here in this room and this distracting my mind and so forth, you know, to the, this way of thinking. So there is a idea of, of controlling or shutting out things. Then when this, when this insight into what mindfulness really is, You know, I, I, this, rather than resenting the fact that, that uh, there's too many distractions here, suddenly my mind receives the distractions. It allows distractions to be the way they are, allows life to flow the way it is. And then from there I can act accordingly, whether I'm doing formal meditation, like this is Sunday, isn't it? And so there's usually a lot of people coming to offer dana in the sala. And so then people, some of you I know don't like that because it's too much noise and too much distraction. And uh, it disrupts your practice. So look at that, 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 that feeling, you know, of, uh, I don't like this, all these people, noisy children running up and down and, and, uh, it distracts me. I've got to go back to the temple where I can really practice. Or changing the attitude. I found, you know, like changing the attitude, gave me a sense of, of liberation where the other attitude always made me kind of, you know, doing things uh, half-heartedly. I could never be, you know, I, I, had to, I had very fixed, narrow views about meditation and, it's, and, and the part of much of my life that didn't fit into that was a sense of duty, having to go to meetings, uh, talking to people, uh, receiving guests and all like this were, were kind of dutifully done. 
and uh, put up with in a way. Like that that was sort of more like just well, you have to do it if you're a senior monk, and and a sense of uh, dutifulness. But it was lacking, certainly lacking in joy. So changing the attitude. Uh, I found uh, absolutely essential when you're in the position I'm in. <laughs> you have to get out and away from it or, or change your attitude. Because it's certainly not, it isn't certainly pleasant to operate from dutifulness. When I operate just performing my duties in this blind way, the life becomes really dreary. Becomes, you know, boring and, and, and unpleasant just to perform one's duties because you're supposed to and you should and you feel guilty if you don't. So changing the attitude to this point that includes everything in this moment. You all belong here because this is the way it is. Everything at this moment belongs. It's part of this moment. And it's received in that sense of totality. It all belongs. Whether it's refined or coarse, peaceful or noisy or whatever. So that we have this ability to receive life in this way. And, and then the liberation is through understanding. Understanding is, is then uh, wisdom, seeing it as it is. And then the, the guidelines are all conditions are impermanent, sapay sankarani cha. That's not a dogmatic statement that's pointing to are all conditions impermanent it's for you to find out not you, you to be a Buddhist you have to believe all conditions are impermanent but it's for investigation the base tamma anatta all dhamma is not self and what this really means is you'll never find yourself as anything whatsoever. <clears throat> so your refuge is in the Dhamma and Sangha rather than in some idealized sense of being becoming somebody. So it's like you don't have to find who you are. You just the problem is what you think you are is not what you are. So it's uh, you you know you don't you don't need to know who you are you just understand what you're not is enough So that's enough for this morning and uh it's just reflect on what I've said and this is meant as an encouragement a way of uh, attitude to help you to uh, 
trust yourself more. To to see that the you know the wisdom is in 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 here in yourself, not in not not something you lack, something you don't have, but something you you may not recognize or appreciate fully. So it's it's this is your life, as they say, and your experience, and you trust yourself to learn from it. So the the Buddhist teachings are helping you to look at things, suggestions, or pointers, and that can help you if you if you use them skillfully.